Let's pray. God, we thank you for this day, this opportunity to gather here and worship you. And Lord, we pray that you would speak into our hearts, minds, and lives that which you have for us this day. May my words be yours. In Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, this passage for today uh, should be a familiar one in a lot of ways. And interestingly enough, uh, last week I was going to preach on the first lesson and was so glad that Pastor Johannes could fill in for me. As you, If you were here, you probably found out what a delight and a gift that he is. And interestingly enough, he chose the gospel lesson to preach on in Luke, which is somewhat similar to the Beatitudes we have here in Matthew. It's a kind of a shorter summarized version. And so this today is kind of Beatitudes part two as we look at this passage from Matthew. This is the very beginning of Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 is what we call the Sermon on the Mount. It's the beginning of Jesus' really long sermon. His one big sermon that covers a variety of topics. It certainly to be there must have been something to see and to experience. And for our time, I, you have your normal insert uh, with the, the lesson on it, but you also have an additional insert. Uh, I put this uh, same, um, same passage in a couple different translations. Every once in a while, I like to look at those as a supplement to kind of get our thinking. And so as we walk through this passage, uh, I'm going to reference those a little bit. But Jesus here, and in much of this sermon that he gives, Matthew 5 through 7, is talking about the kingdom of God. As you've heard me say, Jesus talked about the kingdom of God more than any other topic that comes up in all of his teachings. It's hard for us to understand. Kingdom is not a word that we use. But this kingdom of God is an important concept. It's not just about heaven. It's not just about life after death or life when Jesus returns. It's also about God's rule and God's reign. Both in the time that Jesus spoke about it, but here and now as well. You've heard to me also perhaps refer to the kingdom of God as God's dream for this earth, that which God intends to be here on earth. And so we have, of course, this introduction, these verses 1 and 2. We see that Jesus um, comes to the mountainside, and they all come up to hear Jesus speak. Looking at verse 3. This first beatitude, first in the NIV, and then I will do the other two here. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Or as the message says, you're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there is more of God in his rule. New Testament scholar N.T. Wright writes, Wonderful news for the poor in spirit. The kingdom of heaven is yours. <coughs> We are entitled to all that God has for us. We talked about this in Galatians. We are entitled to all that God has for us. With less of us, there is more of God. And if we think about it, it's those times where we come to our place of emptiness or desperation or confusion that we see and experience and need God the most. That those who are in need of God will receive God. 
But not only what they need from God, but they will be inheritors of God's kingdom. Experience all that God has for them. You see, these messages of these Beatitudes, they were not only radical then, but they're radical for us now if we think about it. It's a surprising message. Verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted in the message. You're blessed when you feel you've lost what is most dear to you. Only then can you be embraced by the one most dear to you. As N.T. Wright says, wonderful news for mourners. You're going to be comforted. God is with us in our suffering. God is with us in our loss. As Max Lucado once said, the next time you experience suffering, pay attention. It may be the closest you get to God. It's in the midst of our mourning, our pain, our loss, our suffering, that only the comfort of God will do. And we've all experienced that kind of loss or suffering, whether of a loved one or whether a Broncos fan. God is with us and comforts us in the midst of our loss. Verse 5. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. This is, of course, a very opposite message of our culture, of our world, even sometimes of the church. That it's the meek that will inherit the earth. I love this message translation of this verse in particular. You're blessed when you're content with just who you are, no more, no less. That's the moment you find yourselves proud owners of everything that can't be bought. Wonderful news for the meek. You're going to inherit the earth. It's when we are free to be most fully ourselves that we experience God in new and powerful ways. It's when we embrace that. We embrace not what's expected of us, not what others think of us, but who God has created us to be. That not only do we get and have and experience all that we hope and wish for, but even better, we get and experience all that God has for us, for the present and for the future. Verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Here in your insert in the message translation. You're blessed when you've worked up a good appetite for God. He's food and drink and the best meal you'll ever eat. Parallels to what we understand about spiritual growth, about seeking God. Parallels to even some of what we understand about communion. Wonderful news for people who hunger and thirst for God's justice. You are going to be satisfied. The truth is we hunger for much. Not just food and drink. Maybe we hunger for success. Maybe we hunger for healing, for restoration of a broken relationship. We hunger for resources. We hunger for spring. There is so much that we hunger for. So many things that we look for that we desire. How many times do we find ourselves saying, if only X would happen. If only I had Y. 
There's so much that we hunger for. But the truth is, none of those things, even those that are good, can fully fill us. The only thing that can fully fill us is the God of the universe. The only thing that can fully satisfy is God. And so those who hunger for God are going to be filled. It's great news that we follow and worship and serve a God who when we ask for more of him, we get it. And our hunger for God determines so much. It determines our perspective. It determines our attitude. It impacts our relationships, our service. But you see, spiritual growth, which is what all disciples are called to, doesn't happen without hunger. It doesn't happen without hunger for God. And so sometimes it's hard to feel hungry. And sometimes God fills and answers our hungers in ways in which we wouldn't expect. Yet, the scripture here reminds us, those who hunger will be filled. For me, this news is such great news. Because even in my most difficult moments, in my heart of hearts, I want more of God. Our hunger matters. It matters deeply. Verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Peace does not get a lot of play in our culture. It doesn't get wished for, but never celebrated. And we see television shows, series, news stuff, everything created out of conflict, out of shortcomings. Peace does not win over. But I love how Peterson puts this in the message translation, verse 9. You are blessed when you can show people how to cooperate instead of compete or fight. That's when you discover who you really are and your place in God's family. Wonderful news for the peacemakers, as N.T. Wright writes. You will be called God's children. We are blessed when we help partner and cooperate instead of compete and fight. That's what being a peacemaker means. And that's not just about world peace or peace in terms of government or society, but even in our own lives, even in our relationships, even in our homes, but in the church as well. How often I have to shake my head, even though I am sometimes guilty, when we have this attitude of competition or fighting in the church or within churches and our culture and society and community. It's amazing, this spirit, because it's not the spirit of peace that Christ has for us. We don't find life in that. We don't honor the Spirit in competing with one another. We find ourselves when we partner together, when we cooperate, when we seek out the vision God has for us and live out that vision. And here for verse 10, 
Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And the message, you're blessed when your commitment to God provokes persecution. The persecution drives you even deeper into God's kingdom. Wonderful news for people who are persecuted because of God's way. The kingdom of heaven belongs to you. You see, so oftentimes we get confused about persecution. We avoid it because that's our natural human instinct. It is a type of suffering and it feels unjust. And things that are not persecution, like someone disagreeing with our perfectly biblical opinion, if there is such a thing, we call persecution. But here's the interesting thing about the scriptures. It's one of my least favorite truths about following Jesus. As much as I hate suffering, as much as I hate pain, don't we all? Nowhere in here does Jesus promise us that we won't suffer and that we won't experience pain. In fact, just the opposite. So often, like in this passage and in others, we see Jesus offer this message that says, if you follow me, there's going to be suffering, there's going to be persecution, there's going to be pain, there's going to be difficulty. But the greater news is that the reward beyond this earth is greater. And the great news is, I am with you. And even in the midst of my worst suffering, when I can get my head back straight, I have to remind myself that my suffering, oh, is nothing in the shadow of the cross. And so, while there is such good news in this passage, the reality is one of the difficult challenges is suffering is a reality of life and of following Jesus. And the verse 12 talks about this, about the reward. In verse 11, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Not only that, count yourselves blessed every time people put you down or throw you out or speak lies about you to discredit me. What it means is that the truth is too close for comfort and they are uncomfortable. Wonderful news for you when people slander you and persecute you and say all kinds of wicked things about you falsely because of me. This is not encouraging material, right? Nobody likes those experiences. But I do have to say, those experiences are a reality. A reality of life and certainly a reality of following Jesus. So i got to talk about them because the good news is God is with us in those. That truth hurts sometimes but the truth of Jesus Christ and Jesus' love for us the truth that God is with us in all of these circumstances is the most comforting thing that we can ever find you see Jesus was setting up a different story here this is not just some weird sermon that Jesus gave that we need to digest. It's not even wishful thinking. It's a picture. It's a picture of life, most certainly, but more importantly, it's a picture of what life with God is like. That though we experience hunger and suffering and pain and persecution, though we're not always sure of who we are and what we're to be about, God is with us. 
and that those things that the world holds up to be so dear are not the things that actually matter in the end. They're not the things that are kingdom lasting things. You see, I read this passage and I'm reminded that this is the good news of my story of following Jesus. But each of these things requires me to let go and to trust. To let go and to trust. Easier said than done, right? That in our suffering, it's more natural to be angry at God and wonder if we're being punished, whether because of a flat tire or the death of a loved one, than it is to embrace God's comfort. Yet, the truth of the matter is that God has set up an entirely different story, an entirely different paradigm, that God's rule and God's reign, God's kingdom here on earth and in heaven, God's dream for the world doesn't look anything like what we see. You've probably heard me tell the story about my friend whose nephew, upon hearing all of these things that Jesus said about the kingdom of God at eight or nine years old, said, so, Uncle Aaron, the kingdom of God is kind of like opposite day, isn't it? It's so different. It's so opposite of what we think and what is natural and certainly of what the world proclaims. And thank God for it. Because I don't want anyone I know or care about to be alone in the times that this passage talks about. And we're not. And better yet, God blesses us in the midst of it. And the story on the other side, whether it comes in our earthly passing or the return of Jesus, is that the picture of what's next is even greater. But in the meantime, this is a picture of our life with God. But it's more than a picture of our life with God. I was visiting with some pastors. We do a Bible study. And one of them said, I'm preaching on, for this weekend scripture, I'm preaching on the first lesson because I'm sick of preaching on the Beatitudes. I was like, well, that's an interesting thought. And I've had those sentiments and I can understand that maybe, you know, but I think we missed the point. <laughs> of course it's hard. Of course it is plain. But it's the reality. But see, the, the, something my friend reminded me of when I was in his church last weekend in New Jersey, was, you know, these, these truths of the Beatitudes, they're not just a picture of our life with God or a picture of the world or the picture of heaven or God's kingdom, but the picture of who we can be to each other, that when one of us mourns, the others can comfort, that when one of us hungers, the others can come alongside and offer fulfillment. That's a picture of who we can be to each other in the church. It's a picture of the body of Christ and what we can be for each other. And even beyond that, it's a picture of what we as a church, we as followers of Jesus Christ, can be to the world. That we in our everyday going outs, whether in the store or at work or at a game, we can be people who provide comfort, people who provide love, people who bless the meek and the mild. What if we saw this not only as the good news of Jesus for us, but what if we took this 
and live this for others in the world. And that's why I love the Beatitudes, because it's such a great picture. That's what a vision is. It's a picture. It's a picture of life, a picture of life with God, a picture of what the church can be, that we can walk together in all of these things, that we need God and we need each other, and a picture of what the church can be to the world. The kingdom of God, God's dream for the world, God's rule and God's reign, not just when the story comes to an end, but here and now is for us. And we get to embrace that if we so choose, knowing not only that God is with us, but the things that matter in this world are fleeting. What God has for us is greater, greater than we could ever hope for, greater than that which we ever need. Let us pray. God, we thank you for this beginning of this sermon that Jesus offered to the people and offers to us. God, help us to live these beatitudes in our relationship with you, with one another, and with the world, that we may know your kingdom rule and reign in our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.